All right, good morning. How is everyone? Doing well, doing well? Okay, good to see you. Hey, real quick, um, something that we always do, um, kind of a new tradition on our one service Sundays, is uh, we give out maybe a book or two. So uh, the only rule is if you take the book, you got to read the book. If you take the book, you got to read the book, all right? So between these two sections, let's see who loves Jesus more. No hands are shooting up. Okay, no. Tim Keller, The Reason for God. Who wants it? Boom. There you go. It's yours. Come on down. The price is right. Come on down. Did you ever, did you ever think you'd hear the price? Come on down. The price is right. All right. So, great book. Um, and listen, I'm just trying to expose you to Christian authors, right? There's a method to my madness. All right. John Piper, Desiring God, it will absolutely revolutionize your life. Christian hedonism at its finest, finding pleasure in God. It is an amazing book. Who wants it? Who wants it? Okay, no one wants it. All right, you in the back. Pretty lady, you come on down. Come on down. The price is right. It is free. Free for you. All right. Um, Terry, come on up, man. Um, also, we're going to do uh, one other thing. Terry, come on up. Come on up. Terry don't want to come up. Come on, give it up for Terry. Let's go. Come on. All right, so, so listen, most people are terrified about public speaking, right? They would rather be dead than public speak. But, so I, I twisted Terry's arm a little bit, right? Come over here, Terry, so we get a good live stream shot for people. Hello to everyone on live stream. All right. So um, once a month, we want to take like two minutes and just highlight someone who's serving. They've jumped into ministry. They're using their gifts, their passions, their talents. And so, uh, Terry, tell us your name. <laughs> He's Terry. All right. Terry, now, now listen. Uh, t- Tell everyone, where, where are you serving, like, currently? What are, what are you doing, like, behind the scenes? You're a behind-the-scenes guy. I serve in the uh, youth group, um, the maintenance, and uh, live stream. Media, live stream, live stream. Uh, you can thank Terry. He's part of the team. So here's the deal. When he says youth, like, literally, he gets here, like, mid-afternoon, and he stays till like, 9 o'clock at night. He gets, up, he gets here early, he sets up everything, he's got everything dialed in, he connects with kids, he's training kids on media, um, and he's hanging out with students. So big, huge commitment on Wednesday night. Terry's my go-to guy. I could not do it without you, my friend. Um, but he's been involved in media. He was instrumental in setting up live stream back in the day. And, uh, and maintenance, right? Maintenance, projects, there's random things. So um, real quick, why did you start serving? Why are you serving? Like, like share your heart, your vision with these people. Why should they jump in? Why did you jump in? Because I think God gave us all a talent and it's not right to keep it to yourself. So if you can spread it around, you can help. If you can teach the younger guys, why not? I mean, that's what we're here for. So that's part of, that's my reason for doing it. I love it. There's so much joy in serving. Give it up for Terry. We appreciate Terry so much.
so sometimes we're going to highlight someone who literally just jumped into serving, right? So we talk about next steps. And the next steps are the next steps that we want you to take, right? So the mission of the church is helping people find and follow Jesus. That's what we're about. We want people to encounter the living Christ. We want them to, um, as John says in his gospel, right, believe on his name. See Christ as the greatest treasure of all and follow him. So find him and then follow him. A part of following Jesus is not being a consumer. In American culture, I think the status of, of, of really American church is people are constantly shopping around, bouncing from one church to the next, you know. And here, here's the reality. If you're constantly bouncing around, like you're, you're not really going to be able to form lasting friendships, right? Um, the church is, is a body. We're a family. We're called to do life together. And so it's not about being a consumer. It's about being a, a contributor. Well, that's a different mindset. When you're a contributor, you're giving, right? It's not just you receiving, you're giving out. So like Terry, a part of uh, our volunteer team, um, so many volunteers in our church, they're giving, they're investing, right? They're um, using their spiritual gifts and their talents uh, for the health of the church. And so we want contributors, right? We want contributors, not consumers. We do not exist for ourselves. The church does not exist for ourselves. We exist for the glory of God and for people who are lost to come to find Christ. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we do church, right? And so um, I, I hope that... Um, you'll really pray and think about getting involved because there's so much joy in serving the Lord. There really is, you know. Um, I like the acronym JOY, Jesus, others, yourself. And if you get it in that order, life is sweet. Jesus is number one, others is number two, Philippians two, right? It's about humbling, serving other people. You know, their needs more important than your own. Uh, easier to say that Sunday morning than when someone cuts in line or... Uh, you know, someone, uh, you know, tries to be, you know, tries to be rude and get in front of you or whatever. But then putting yourself last, right? All right. We are going to pick up in the Gospel of John. So here we are, John chapter 1. We are actually going to finish. We're going to get through or we're going to get all the way through verse 18. So let me read the passage again. Last week was um, we talked about. Uh, Jesus is light part one, and um, I had so much more I, I wanted to share, so I, I just made it a part two. So here we go. Let me read the passage again for you. Um, a good chunk of these verses we've already dug into and, and unpacked, so we're not going to do that today. But um, just for sake of context, let's, let's read it together. Well, not read it together, but you know. All right. John chapter 1, verses 4 to 18. It says, In him speaking of Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The first 18 verses of the Gospel of John are really known as the the, the prologue. John, if you remember, John is a cousin of Jesus, a first cousin. If you go back to the original message, as I introduced the Gospel of John, you know, you have to do some detective work and look at different passages in the Gospels, but you come to the conclusion that Salome was Mary's sister, making John and Jesus cousin, cousins. John is highlighting some themes that he's going to carry throughout the rest of the book. Some believe that the first 18 verses, uh, called the prologue, may have been a hymn, like a, a, a spiritual song that when the believers would gather together, they would sing this song together, right? That probably never thought about that. Or some people think that maybe the prologue was this great confession of faith, and the believers would recite it uh, together. Uh, John, Jesus' cousin, is driving home one singular truth. And that is, Jesus is God wrapped in human flesh. God had a son named Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. But Jesus, who is God, became a man at the incarnation. John is unfolding this truth one verse at a time. So the question this morning is, and this is a question that people are asking all the time, well, how can I know God? If there is a God, can he be known? And I would say yes, he can be known because John is telling us in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. And then he says, the only God, referencing Jesus, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. How can you know this this God, this God, This God who is eternal, who created all things? How can you know this God? You know this God through Jesus. Jesus came to reveal who God is. Now, how did he do that? He did that by his teachings. He was pointing people to God. He was talking about the kingdom of God. But he was also revealing God through his miracles, which were divine. Jesus is the God-man wrapped in flesh. He, he, He had divinity. He had the power to perform these miracles for the blind to see, right? The deaf to hear, the mute to speak. He he would touch lepers and they would be healed. He raised countless people back to life once once they died. But he went beyond the teachings. He went beyond the, the miracles. People saw these miracles with their own eyes. He became the living word. This is what John is saying. In the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus, 
We know that because verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word was with God, making Jesus and the Father separate persons. And the word was God. Jesus became the living word, which means God, the creator of all things, became physical. God became a human, physical at the incarnation. John later says in 1 John, we saw him, we touched him, and we heard him. Last week, we talked about Jesus being the source of all spiritual truth. It says, it says um, in one of the verses we looked at last week, in him was life. He is the embodiment of, of life. He is the embodiment of, of truth. Uh, we, we talked about Jesus being light. He was shining before creation. So there was never a moment when Jesus was created. He has always eternally been because he's God. He was not created. He is the everlasting son. He has always been God. He's always shared Trinitarian intimacy and community and fellowship from eternity past into eternity future. It says that he was shining before creation. And the Bible says that he brought light to those living in the shadow of death. People were living in spiritual darkness between Malachi and Matthew, between the Old Testament, the last book, and the New, and the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, which tell us the Christmas story. There was 400 years of silence. And in those 400 years, there was no prophetic word. There was no revelation. There was no light. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. God sends God the Father sends his son Jesus at the exact moment. Galatians says, born of a woman, which was a, a massive statement to make, you know. And, it, and Matthew says that a great light shines upon the people. And we know that this light was Jesus. He came to expose the darkness. I like to say it this way. The incarnation was a military invasion, God the Father sent his son into a war zone. People's lives were broken. I mean, completely just wrecked by sin. And God brings a savior. God brings a savior into the darkness of, uh, of this world. And, and Jesus, he, he takes upon flesh and he penetrates the darkness and the lostness of humanity with the light of his love. The gospel writer Luke says, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You see, when it comes to life, you're either living in the shadow of death or you're living in the shadow of the light of his love. You only have two options. There's no in-between. Jesus is the dividing line. You either know him intimately and you're walking with him or you do not know him you're either a sheep or you're a goat you're either a part of his kingdom or you're living in spiritual darkness and the bible says the god of this world the enemy satan right he has blinded the minds of unbelievers colossians says this in in chapter 1 verses 13 to 14 it says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So it's very clear all throughout the Bible 
right? There is the light of God's love, the light of his kingdom, his marvelous light, his marvelous kingdom, and then there's the kingdom of darkness that is ruled by the prince of the power of the air. But the Bible says that Christ can deliver you. He can deliver you from this domain of darkness, and he can transfer you to the kingdom of his son. And, and here's, here's the result of that. When, he, when that transfer is made, you, you've been redeemed. In Christ, you can be forgiven. You don't have to live in your sin. You don't have to wonder, you know, how much good do I got to do? You know, how good is good enough, right? A lot of people think, well, I'm just going to try hard, work hard, and, 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 and I'm just going to hope and pray that my good deeds is, is going to be enough. The, the reality is, Isaiah says that all of our good deeds, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. Dirty, polluted. There's nothing that we can bring to God to win his love, to earn his grace. God simply, freely doles it out. He, he extends his love. He gives us his mercy, which we do not deserve. Well, that's grace. He withholds mercy for things that we do deserve. We deserve condemnation and separation, and, 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 and we deserve judgment. But Jesus took the judgment for us. Last week, we talked briefly about John the Baptist. I'm not going to rehash what we talked about, but I'm going to make a, a few additional comments, and we're going to move on. John chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. You know what? John the Baptist had one purpose, and that was to make his name, John's name, great. You know, when you kind of like tap into culture and kind of look around, everyone's trying to make their name great, aren't they? They're trying to be great social media platform and, you know, influence and all these things. Technology is buying for our attention. The, the enemy, you know, the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. The enemy wants to creep in and, hey man, pursue success and selfish ambition and, 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 and those things that, that, that you really should want. John the Baptist, he didn't care about himself. John the Baptist said, you know what? I came for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to put a spotlight on the king, to put a spotlight on the one who matters. I'm living for an audience of one. That's, that was John the Baptist's mindset. He came to bear witness about the light. Man, if we, if we um, what if we bore witness about the light as much as we try to bear witness about our own light? That'd be a lot of light. That'd be a, that'd be a lot of barren light for Jesus, right? We're so consumed and caught up with, you know, making ourselves look great. Jesus is great. You know, our purpose is the same as John the Baptist. Point people to the light. If you have a broken relationship in your life, fix it for the sake of Christ. Go to that person, reconcile with them, Right, You be the bigger person. The Bible says the stronger reaches to the weaker. That's, Romans says that. If you're a strong, mature believer, you're going to reach to those who are weaker. So it takes more character, right, 
like stuff that only God can give you to reach to someone who's wounded you, to reach to someone who's hurt you, or maybe you hurt them, and you need to go to them, and you need to make it right with them, right? That's, that's a picture of the gospel. Christ comes, and what does he do? He initiates, he pursues, he comes to reconcile. He comes to make things right with us. And so this is a great applicational point for us. If we're gonna point people to the light, we gotta be reconciled with people. We gotta, we gotta be right with people if we're gonna point them to Jesus. And, and listen, and maybe just be honest with people who are completely lost and maybe the relationship is severed. Just be honest about your own failure and your flaws and your, your hangups, right? That you're broken, right? You know, you're not perfect. You've been saved by God's grace. God's forgiven you. You don't deserve that. And so you're a work in progress. I'm telling you, if you were honest with someone in your oikos who's lost, and you're just, just raw, just like, this is who I am, I'm so sorry, man. For, for lack of a better word, I, I think you, you, God puts change in your pocket with those people, right? It gives you credibility. I think they can begin to trust you. You know, I, I have found, it's very interesting, uh, Candace was reading me something just the other day about uh, a guy, a pastor in Philadelphia. He's been there like 18 years. And uh, he does these posts, you know, on Instagram or whatever. And uh, she was reading me one of, the, one of his posts recently. And um, it was like so good. But there was one little phrase that just like just grabbed my attention. It just arrested me. And it was like basically, I can't quote it word for word. It was, it was better if you read it. Sorry. Um, but it was pretty much like the, the, the big idea was people are on, like, they're searching for their personal purpose, right? And he, and he had a, a, a litany, a whole list of, like, other things that people are, like, searching for and clinging to, right? Rather than just being committed to the local church and being connected to other believers and being committed to where God has planted you. There, there, there's, this, 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 there's this whole spiritual journey, and I've got to discover my, my spiritual purpose. Baloney. That is a bunch of, do you know what? That's a bunch of baloney. What do you mean you have to discover your spiritual, your personal purpose? purpose. It's almost like, you know, I've got to d- discover this, this mystical, you know, this purpose. i got to figure it out. No, you don't have to figure it out because your purpose has been given to you. It's, it's been given to you as an assignment from the hand of God. And you know what our purpose is? Let me just make it very clear. The grand theme of redemption, well, the grand theme of the Bible is redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, every book, every chapter, every verse, every story points to Jesus, the great redeemer. The Bible is about Jesus. It's about man who who has fallen, but then it's about a God who's so merciful. He's so gracious. He's so kind. What What does he do? He pursues humanity. And he pursues and he pursues and he pursues to save us, to forgive us, to make our lives right. Right? That's the grand purpose of the Bible. It's redemption. That's the gospel. A holy God pursuing sinful humanity so that we might be right with him. The purpose of your life is to know the God who's been chasing you. The purpose of life is to know this God that loves you, that created you in his image, 
that gave his life for you. The purpose of the Christian life is to know God and to make him known. I think, honestly, I think we have so complicated. What's your purpose? What's my purpose? I gotta figure out my purpose, you know? Like, listen, your purpose is not so much in doing. I think we get caught up in doing. I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta find. No, your purpose is embracing who you are in Christ. Your purpose is, is anchoring your identity to the cross. Your purpose is found in God. He defines your purpose. It's about knowing the Savior and walking with the Savior. We've made it so complex. So next time someone says, you know, what's your purpose? Know God and make him known. Right? Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations. Jesus is like, I want you to go. I want you to go. I want you to go. I want you to know me as you're, as you're going with me because it's a commission. Your purpose is to know God and make him known. Purpose and mission go hand in hand. Your purpose is always connected to your mission. You don't have a mission unless the church has a mission. And the mission that Jesus gave can't be voted on. Some churches, they want to they vote on the purpose of the church. Well, this is the purpose, and this, this is the mission. And No, listen, Jesus said, this is the mission. This is the mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all these things, and lo, I'm, be, and lo, I'm with you until the end of the age. That's the mission of the church. So God calls us to live out this mission. Let's pick up in, in John, John chapter one, verses nine to 11. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. Now check this out. He was in the world. We know that he was shining before creation. He was in the world and the world was made through him. He's the agent of creation. Verse three tells us that. Yet the world did not know him. He's the creator, but yet the people didn't know him. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. I mean, think about, think about losing the greatest lottery ticket of your life. I mean, I, I, it's a bad example. I'm just going to use it anyways, right? I mean, if, if you get the lottery ticket, it's like, you know, $100 trillion, and you lose the lottery ticket, you're just like ruined, the Jewish people, they've been waiting, longing for the Messiah, anticipating with great joy that this Messiah would come and he would set up his kingdom and, and he would rule and reign and, and, and he would kick Rome to the side. And they missed it. They missed him. They missed him. They, they, they completely missed his coming. When he came... They rejected him. So the beginning of the prologue, I want you to see this because I think it's so good. So John is crafting this argument that the word logos, Jesus, he's the, um, he's the expressed idea of God. He is God in flesh. He was shining before creation. He's God. He's divine. And then now John develops the thought again. He says, this light is Jesus and the light was rejected. This light was rejected by his own people. His own people didn't receive him as light. 
they, they saw him as a man who was demon-possessed, a man who was a glutton, a man who was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Fast forward to the 21st century, people today, they see Jesus as a good moral teacher. He's just a good moral teacher, right? Or you know what? He's this, um, he's this like social revolutionary guy. Like he loved the poor. He fed the poor. And um, he was a good example. He's a good example to follow. Um, John is saying they did not receive him. They did not see him for who he was. They didn't see him as God. They didn't see him as the creator, the agent of creation. They didn't see him as eternal, the, the son of God. So here's point number one. You can receive the light or reject the light. Because here's the deal. The light is shining. The light is shining whether you like the light or not. He was shining before creation. He shines through the pages of, of his word. He shines throughout history. And he's shining right now. And the Bible says that we're little lights. Paul says, uh, I think he, he, he told the believers at Philippi that we're little lights in this perverse and twisted generation. We are little lights as believers. Jesus is shining through his church, which is his body, the, the bride of Christ. Look at John 1, 12 to 13. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, real quick, do you remember John's purpose in his gospel? Um, his purpose is tucked away at the end of the, of the gospel of John, John chapter 20, 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs. The word signs there is John's word for miracles. He did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here's the purpose. John is saying, here's the grand purpose of my book. And the purpose is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John is declaring, and he's, he's showing us from the very beginning, from the very, from the very like, starting point, John chapter 1, he is declaring Jesus is the Son of God. It's not just a declaration. He's not just taking a bullhorn and saying, Jesus is God, he's wrapped in human flesh, he's the son of God. He goes beyond something that can just be knowledge-based. He moves knowledge to action. He says, you gotta do something about it. This is not just a declaration. He wants us to do something with this knowledge. And, 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 and what is that? And, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the beginning of verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him. So that now there's this contrast. Just a moment ago, John is saying his own people, his own family. We know his own family. Besides Mary, they did not believe. I think, I mean, you see Mary's heart and devotion, but I think she really, really grew in that knowledge. 
But his brothers, his sisters, completely rejected him. And then later down the road, his brother, James, little brother, becomes a believer. He believes that his older brother is indeed the son of God. And he becomes one of the pillars of the early church. He becomes one of the spiritual leaders in Jerusalem. John, a cousin of Jesus, believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So now John shifts and makes this contrast. Yeah, his people rejected him, but to all who did receive him. You know, that word receive can be translated take hold of. It could, it could be translated obtain or, or grasp, right? So like this, this word belief or believe or belief, which is the word for faith, John is using it, it's more than like this intellectual belief. It's more than intellectual faith. It, it actually means to trust Jesus. I mentioned this a few weeks ago when we started the, the gospel. It means to trust Christ. It means to rely upon Christ. And now John is saying those who receive him, those who take hold of him, those who obtain him, those who grasp for him. It reminds me of the, the two criminals, the two thieves on, on the cross, right? At the midnight hour, at the midnight hour, one of the criminals one of the thugs believed. He believed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And he said, remember me. When you, when you enter into your kingdom, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, Sunday you'll be with me. Come on now. Come on now. He said, today you'll be with me. This whole notion, you know, Jesus went to hell because he had to pay a ransom to Satan. No. Sin Nailed to the cross, debt paid, it is finished, right? We know that the, the, the curtain of the temple split in two, which means now, because of Christ, because of the sacrifice, you have direct access to God because of Jesus, because of Christ. So John is saying this is more than intellectual descent. You've got to take hold of, you've got to obtain, you've got to grasp. You have to receive Christ. I think to receive Christ is to believe in Christ. To believe in Christ is to receive Christ. I, I think receiving is not hard. I think receiving Christ is a very simple thing. Jesus said, he told his disciples on one occasion, don't let the little children, don't hinder them from coming to me, right? I mean, Jesus loved kids. Think about this. The children loved Jesus. He was invited to weddings. He had to have been a pretty cool dude, right? I mean, the kids loved him. And, and, and he was all, you know, he was, man, he's, I just, I could just picture Jesus with these kids. How much fun he had with them. He tells us to come to him with faith like a child. You know, children at a young age, they don't, they don't have all the answers. They just don't. They have simple faith, right? Very simple faith. They, they understand simple concepts. The good news, the gospel, 
is so simple. God created everything. Man rebelled and sinned against him. God pursued humanity. Eventually sent his son Jesus, born of a virgin, sinless life, son of God, perfect in every way, died on a cross, paid the debt we could not pay, was buried in a borrowed rich man's tomb. Three days later, came from the grave. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us. If we come to Christ and we receive him, we believe in him, we trust in him, we're trusting in him, we're, 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 we're grasping for him, we come to a point where we, we acknowledge the, the depravity of our own soul, the, 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 the dark stains of our own sin and how much we desperately need God. Here's, here's what I have found. This is what I believe. I think people don't want to receive Christ because they don't think they need him. They don't think they need him. If you have everything at your fingertips and you're lost, you might think, I don't need Jesus. People don't receive him because they think they don't need him. But we desperately need him. We need the redemption and the forgiveness that he offers to us as a free gift. You know, when I think of like receiving, I think of my kids, especially when kids are really little, toddlers, you know, that's the best stage, man. But as a dad, I could say that, right? It's the best stage. Two, three-year-old, I mean, it's just like, you know, give them something, they just, they just take it, right? You just receive that gift. That's, that's what it means to receive, to, to believe, right? So, but I think, I think there's, a, there's a choice. I think you have, to, you have to make a choice to trust Christ, but ultimately God does the saving in your life. God's the one who, like, opens your eyes to truth. He leads you by the Holy Spirit. He convicts you of your sin. And you come, I think you come to the end of yourself. I think you come to the end of yourself. You realize, man, I am so broken, and I need the grace of God. I need forgiveness, and my life needs to be right with him. You know, I like um, Revelation 3.20 where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So Jesus is um, he's at the door of your heart. He's at the door of your life. And here's the deal. Jesus, he's not going to force his way into your life. He's a gentleman. He's you have to open that door. And opening that door is an act of faith. When you place your faith in Christ, you become a child of God. There is this wacky new age spiritual notion that we're all the children of God. You're a child of God. I'm a child of God. You know, doesn't matter what you believe. You know, we're just all children of God. That's not what John's saying. John, first cousin of Jesus who spent time with him, saw him, touched him, heard the teachings, saw the miracles, saw the resurrected Christ, the risen king. He said, no, he's the son of God. And, if, and, if, and, and the only way to become a child of God is if you receive, if you believe in his name. The message in the New Testament, the message for the early church was there is salvation in no one else except Christ. No other name has been given among men. The Bible says in the book of Philippians that every knee 
will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That word Lord means master, sovereign, ruler of the entire universe. You can either bow your knee and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord with a soft, tender heart and, and, and willing knees falling on the ground, or you can be pushed down. But every person will bow the knee. And every person will confess someday that Jesus indeed is Lord. Why do people not receive him? I'm just not that bad. I'm just not that bad. I'm just not that bad. I'm a pretty good person, right? Um, <laughs> this cannot be a part three. I refuse. I, I, I absolutely refuse. This is not going to be a part three. Okay, give me a moment here. Hold on real quick. Um, let me touch on this real quick. Real quick, okay? Um, so the message of the gospel is that you will turn from your sin, repentance. Literally, it's a military term. You stop, you acknowledge, you turn, and you go the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. And then as you're turning away from sin, you're turning towards Jesus. He's the, he's the object of of salvation. He's the one that you're pursuing. He's the one that you're turning to. You're trusting. You're obtaining, grasping, laying hands on, right? Repentance, I'm going to give you three things. Repentance is, number one, confession. You acknowledge sin for what it is. You own up to it. You refuse to live in denial, right? You have to realize you're dirty before God. I'm dirty before God, right? Our culture has no sense or awareness of sin. People in our culture say, I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay, right? You know, no, we're not okay. We're only okay because of Christ and, 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 and reaching, reaching out by faith to Christ. Number two, repentance is contrition. It's, it's this brokenness over your personal sin. You grieve over it. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then, you know, put her husband in the front lines of the battle, it's a great example when he, when he writes... Um, when he writes um, Psalm 51, it's a great example. He's broken, right? Sin is like a weight on you that's been lifted. And, and our sins are, are like shackles. We're chained to our past and our failures. But when you come to Christ, he breaks the shackles off. You know, when it comes to sin, sin is like Chinese food. The more you eat, the more you want, right? Right? The more you eat, it's like you just can't stop eating it, right? Sin can get you into a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. Repentance is confession, it's contrition, but then here's the last point, change. You gotta do something about your sin, right? You have, you have to have a change of heart and a change of mind. You have to change your thinking and your doing. Repentance is a, is a two-sided coin. You turn from your sin, you turn to God by faith. That's the gospel, you don't clean up your life. People say, well, you know, you got to clean up your life before you come to God. No, you come to God and he'll clean you up. He'll forgive you. He'll save you. And he'll give you purpose in him. Okay, i got to skip that whole section. Here we go. Point number four. Jesus, the light of the world, came and lived among us. 
Okay, so give me, give me two minutes. Here we go, two minutes. So the word, the logos, is Jesus. Verse 14, it says that he, hold on, I, I skipped the passage. I got to read it. Hold on. John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Circle the word dwelt. We're going to come back to that. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So Jesus who was shining before creation, Jesus who was shining at the incarnation, Jesus who was the great light, the source of all spiritual truth, who was rejected by his own people, his own family. It says that Jesus, the light of the world, he came and he lived among us. He took upon flesh. The word dwelt there that I had you circle in verse 14 literally means to live in a tent. The apostle Paul also picks up on this idea that the human body, this flesh, this is just like a, a tent, right? And, and, and this tent is going to come off someday. This, 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 you know, this mortal life is going to go from mortal to immortality. And I, I want to just reference something real quick. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David, King David, is having a conversation with Nathan, his friend, Nathan the prophet. And David is basically saying, you know, why do I live in this lux luxurious palace while the ark of God, which represents the presence of God, lives in a tent? So David's like, I'm going to build God a house. And then it says that God speaks to Nathan. And God tells Nathan, I want you to tell King David this. No, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. So there's play on words there in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God makes promises that God is going to put a descendant on David's throne and this descendant is going to rule and reign forever and the kingdom will have no end and this ultimately is speaking of Jesus. God also tells Nathan, he says, basically, Nathan, have I ever asked my people to build me a house to dwell in? Literally, he told Nathan, why have you not have I, ever, have I ever asked my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Okay, here's what I'm saying. I'm past two minutes, but here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. In the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelt in the tent of meeting. God made his presence known in the tent. Remember Moses? Remember the series on Moses? We talked about this, right? And, and the people would go to the tent to meet with Moses, for Moses to intercede, right? And God's presence filled this, this tent of meeting. Uh, we know also filled the tabernacle. F fast forward to the New Testament. So God's presence was visible, manifested in the tent. In the New Testament, John is now saying God's presence once again, is in a tent, but it's the tent 
of the body of my son, the Lord Jesus. The presence of God moved from a place to a person. In the Old Testament, you had to go to the tent. In the New Testament, you go to Jesus. So if you want to experience the presence of God, go to Jesus. You want to, you want to see God the Father? Jesus said, right, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the, I and the Father are one. And we know that Jesus claimed deity. And, and, and what did the religious leaders do? They picked up stones to stone him. Why did Jesus take on flesh? He took on flesh so that the God of this universe could pay the debt you could never pay. Don't just think of Jesus human on the cross. Think of the God of the universe came and he went to the cross to atone, to sacrifice, to make atonement for your sins. This is what the God of the universe did. Perfect sacrifice, atonement for sin, perfect substitute. Check this out. The word became flesh. That right there should take your breath away. Let's pray.